When Jesus called the very first four disciples to follow him, he made them a promise. He promised to make them fishers of men. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20, so just follow along with me, if you would. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Jesus called Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow him, and he promised that if they did, he would make them fishers of men. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not so sure that I would have followed Jesus based on that promise. Now, if he would have promised something else, like prosperity, follow me and I will make you rich, or maybe wisdom, follow me and I will make you wise. Now, those are two things that would probably entice me, that would get my attention and make me want to follow Jesus. But to be perfectly honest with you, the promise to make me a fisher of men doesn't really sound that enticing. If I had lived back then and Jesus had walked up to me and he said, Alan, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, I'm really not sure that I would have taken him up on that offer. But those four men dropped everything to follow Jesus. They laid down their nets, they gave up their business to follow him, and they took him up on that promise. Now, what most people don't realize is that this promise is universal. In other words, it wasn't just a promise to Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Uh -uh. This promise that Jesus made is to everyone who's willing to follow him. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, depending upon the person and their profession, it might be stated differently. But it's the very same promise. Let me use Matthew as an example. Matthew was a tax collector. His job was to collect taxes. Had Jesus been talking to him at that specific moment, he probably would have said this, follow me Matthew and I will make you a collector of men. Same concept, just stated differently. But it means the very same thing. So this promise is universal. If we follow Jesus, he will make us fisher, fishers of men. But here's the problem. Most people really don't care whether Jesus fulfills that promise or not. In fact, they kind of wish that Jesus wouldn't do that because it's scary. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Dun, 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 dun. And what are we thinking? Ooh, yeah, Jesus, about that. Uh, I really don't want you to do that in my life. You see, what we really wish is that he would have promised something that benefits us personally, something like discipline. Follow me and I will make you disciplined. Or even organized. Some of you are so unorganized and you wish he would have said to you, follow me and I will make you organized. How about happy? Man, I would have settled for happy. Follow me and I will make you happy. To be honest with you, anything would have been better than making us fishers of men. At least that's what most of us think. But that's what Jesus promised to do. To make us fishers of men. Now, let's find out why Jesus promises to make us fishers of men rather than something else. Turn back to the book of Mark chapter 1. I want to look at the two verses preceding what we began this sermon with. It's verses 14 and 15. So let's read those. 
Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, the John that he's referring to here is John the Baptist. So John was imprisoned by Herod Antipas. And that's really not critical to the story. It's just meant to tell us when this incident actually took place. After John was in prison, Jesus went to Galilee and he was preaching the gospel. Now, here's what he was preaching. Look at verse number 15. And saying, the time is at hand and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now I want you to underline the word repent. Repent is translated from the Greek word metanaeo. Metanaeo is a compound word. A compound word is a word that's made up of more than one word. In this case, it's made up of two. It's made up of the prefix meta, which means to change, and the root word nous, which means mind. When you combine these two words, it literally means to change your mind. So Jesus was preaching, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind and believe the gospel. Now, why would Jesus tell them to change their mind and believe the gospel? Well, if you were here Wednesday night, you know. But for those of you who weren't here last Wednesday night, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of what I taught. When Jesus was 11 years old, almost 12, Caesar removed Herod Archelaus as king of Judea, and he turned Judea into a province, province, which meant that it was going to be governed by a Roman procurator. Now, Jacob had prophesied in Genesis chapter 49, verse number 10, that the scepter would not depart from Judah until the Messiah came. In other words, Judea would always have a king, a Jewish king ruling over them until the Messiah came. So when Herod Archelaus was removed as king and a Roman was placed over them to govern Judea, it created a panic among the religious leaders. The Sanhedrin called for a special meeting in order to discuss the Messianic prophecy in Genesis 49.10. And the conclusion that they came to was that they must have interpreted, misinterpreted that passage. That it should have been translated allegorically instead of literally. And that it meant that the Messiah wasn't coming, at least not in their lifetime. And that's what they began teaching in all of the synagogues. So that's what the people believed. But what the Sanhedrin should have done, instead of believing that it shouldn't have been translated uh, literally, and it should have been translated allegorically, is that they should have believed what the Scripture said. And they should have realized that the Messiah had come, he just hadn't revealed himself yet. And they should have prepared their hearts to receive him. But they didn't do that. They did just the opposite. So when Jesus began his ministry... He was ministering to a nation of people that had been taught by their rabbis that the Messiah was not coming in their lifetime. So when he began his ministry, he had to tell the people, you've been taught wrong by the religious leaders. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind and believe the gospel. Is everyone with me? If you're lost, I'm sorry. You should have been here Wednesday night. I went in depth on this. I know that we call ourselves a church, but really we're more of a Bible college. Just kidding. But really we are. We're kind of like a Bible college. Now, let's talk about the gospel. Jesus told the people to repent and believe the gospel. 
What is the gospel? If you've grown up in church all of your life, you've heard that. Well, you know, we preach the gospel here. Well, we just need to spread the gospel to everyone. And it sounds so religious. But what is the gospel? Well, Paul defined the gospel in the first four verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read those first four verses. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now he's going to tell us what that gospel is, because this is of primary importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So what is the gospel? It's the fact that Jesus has died for our sins that he was buried, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. People, that's the gospel. And of course, the word gospel literally means good news. So the good news is that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And as a result of that, every one of us, if we'll receive Jesus, can have a right relationship with God. Now, obviously, when Jesus began his ministry, he hadn't died yet and been resurrected. But he knew that was going to happen. So at the time, he was preaching the gospel in a very general and nonspecific way. He was simply telling the people that the time is at hand, which is code for the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God has finally come. Repent. In other words, change your mind. Don't you believe that the Messiah is not coming in your lifetime? Instead, you need to believe the gospel, the good news. Genesis 49.10. The scepter has departed from Judah and the Messiah is now here. And of course, three years later, Jesus died for our sins and he was raised from the dead. And as a result of that, we can have a right relationship with God. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can be completely and totally forgiven of our sins. Which means we can have eternal life. Now let me say that again. Which means we can have eternal life. And people, that changes everything. It changes the way I think. It changes the way I perceive things. It changes the way I act. Where once I only looked at things from an earthly perspective, now I see everything from an eternal perspective, which is exhilarating because now my life has meaning and a greater purpose. What I do has eternal consequences. You see, without eternal life, life has no meaning. Let me say that again. Without eternal life, this life here on earth has no meaning. And let me show you why I say that. How many of you took a philosophy class in college because you had to? Just a few of you. I had to for my degree. I was one of those weird people that after I took my first philosophy class, then I took a second one, and then I took a third one. And I think I took a fourth one, but I don't want to be lying on that because I enjoyed philosophy. I'm probably the only one here besides my wife that graduated with a bachelor's degree with 186 hours. I enjoyed school. 
I would still be going to school today if I had the time to do that. But I enjoyed philosophy. Now, how many of you, if you took philosophy, have ever heard of Jean-Paul Sartre? Anyone? In fact, if you took philosophy, you probably had your professor pronounce it as Jean-Paul Sartre. That's how we pronounce his name in America. But that's not his name. His name is Jean-Paul Sartre. He's probably the most famous philosopher of the 20th century. He was an atheist and an existentialist. He was also very nihilistic. Now, does everyone know what I mean by nihilistic? Nihilism means no hope. So if someone's nihilistic, it means they have no hope. So he basically believed that life was meaningless and that man lived in a world with no hope. But the reason he believed that life was meaningless is because he had figured out a profound truth. And let me state it in his words, if you don't mind. No finite point has any meaning unless it has an infinite reference point. I know that's pretty deep, so I'm going to say it again because I want you to think about what I just said. This is the profound truth that he found. No finite point has any meaning unless it has an infinite reference point. In other words, if there is no such thing as eternity then our life here on earth has no meaning. People, that's true. Let me say that again. If there's no such thing as as eternity, our life here on earth has no meaning. And that's true. Now, why is that true? It's because there wouldn't be such a thing as eternal consequences, which means that after an indefinite period of time, the consequences of our actions would cease to matter. So ultimately, what we do on this earth really wouldn't matter a hill of beans. Whether we're good or whether we're evil. Whether we've murdered or whether we've raped. It really wouldn't matter. And let me give an example of that. A thousand years from now, no one is going to care that Hitler killed, murdered millions of people. All he'll be is just another name in a history book, kind of like Attila the Hun. We can go back a thousand years from now and we can read about it, but that's just a name. That's just a story in history. And when the sun burns out and everything on the earth dies, he's not even that. So it really won't matter what he did if there's no eternity. And that's what Jean Paul meant by no finite point has any meaning unless it has an infinite reference point. Now can you see why Jean Paul was nihilistic? He had figured out that without eternal life, without eternity, this life on this earth is meaningless. And being an atheist who didn't believe in eternity, he came to the natural conclusion that his life had no meaning. And do you want to realize what else it drove him to? He came to the point that that he said that the only thing you could really do is authenticate your life is by making a choice. But it really didn't matter which choice that you made because ultimately it did not matter. Wow. Wow. But boy, was he wrong. And the reason he was wrong is because there is such a thing as eternal life, which means that my actions can and will have eternal consequences. What I do on this earth can and will matter for all of eternity. So my life has true meaning and a greater purpose. And what I do on this earth every day of my life matters. 
Whether I believe the gospel or don't believe the gospel matters. Whether I share the gospel or don't share the gospel matters. Whether I follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus matters. Whether I obey the word or I don't obey the word matters. Whether I invite people to church or don't invite people to church matters. What I do or don't do matters. Now, let's go back to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were fishermen. And what do fishermen do? Fishermen fish. Hey, it's kind of self-explanatory. That's a no-brainer. What do fishermen do? Fishermen fish. Now, can you imagine the eulogy at their funerals had they not followed Jesus? I can just imagine a rabbi or a, pers- or a close personal friend of, of Peter getting up to speak at his funeral and delivering the eulogy. It would probably go something like this. We're here to honor the life of Simon, who passed away two days ago. Simon was a good man, but he was a stinky man. Simon always smelled like fish. I remember that I used to sit next to him in the synagogue, and on a good sunny day when we opened up the shutters, and the wind would blow through the building, I would get a whiff of Peter, and I would think, whoo, that man stinks. Now, of course, I'm kidding. But my point is this. Had Peter not followed Jesus and become a fisher of men, he would not have made an eternal impact that he did. So when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, what he was really saying was, follow me and I will give your life meaning. I'll give your life a greater purpose. I'll give you the ability to make an eternal impact. I'll make you fishers of men. And people, they accepted the call and the rest is history. These men along with all the rest of the apostles, literally turned the world upside down because they realized that their life had a greater meaning than just catching fish. Now Jesus was going to take them to a point where everything they did mattered, and it would matter for all of eternity. Now I want you to think about the impact that these men made as a result of following Jesus. Peter wrote two of the books in the Bible, 1st and 2nd Peter. He's also the source for the Gospel of Luke. How many of you knew that? Luke did not follow Jesus along with the disciples. But what he did was he went and followed Peter. And so Peter is actually the source for the Gospel of Luke. He was the backbone of the early church. And today, thousands of churches are named after Peter, including the Basilica of St. Peter located in the Vatican City. That church alone is the largest church in the world. It's bigger than Joel Osteen's. It can hold 60,000 people. John wrote three epistles, the book of Revelation and the Gospel of John. He took care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, after Jesus ascended to heaven. And he, along with Paul, are responsible for evangelizing almost all of modern-day Turkey and Greece and into Italy. James and Andrew had just as great of ministries as the other two. They just weren't as well-known as their brothers. And as a result, no one knows all the things that they did, but they had just as big of an impact. Now, people, you can make the same type of impact You can make an eternal impact just as they did. You can have a higher calling, a greater purpose in life. Your life can take on greater meaning, but only if you follow Jesus and allow him to make you a fisher of men. And the truth is, most of us never even think about that. We have the tendency to only think about temporal things. 
Things like getting out of school, finishing our education, getting a career, moving up the ladder, getting married and having children, raising our kids, getting adult toys. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't matter. They do matter. But one day, all of those things are going to come to an end. One day, you're going to finish your education. You're never going to go back into a classroom. Oh, there might be a, a, a one-day continuing education course that you have to take. But you're, uh, all, uh, all sense and purposes, you're done with your school. One day, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave home. One day, you're going to retire. And one day, you're going to die. It's going to be over. Now, let me just tell you this if no one's ever told you. You will die. That's going to happen. So all of those temporal things that you have worried and fretted over are going to come to an end one day. They are temporary in the eternal scope of things. But here's what's so neat. God has the ability to take all of those temporary, menial stuff that we're so concerned about and give them eternal value. But only if we allow him to make us fishers of men. People, that's so right. God can take your temporary life here on this earth with all of its temporal activities and use it to make an eternal difference. He'll use you to affect someone else's eternal destiny. He'll use you to change someone's life in an eternal way. He'll use you to start a chain reaction in your family that will continue to affect people for all of eternity. He'll use your accomplishments and your failures, your highs and your lows, to affect others and to bring eternal value to all of your temporal experiences. But only if you follow him and allow him to make you a fisher of men. Now, let me give you an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. This Easter, we're going to have over a 1,000 people come to both of our services. In fact, if the weather is good, and how many of you are praying for good weather? We'll have between 1,300 to 1,400 people come to our Easter services. I'm believing that people are going to be touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to be saved. And God is going to change their life, and they will possibly touch someone else's life, and a chain reaction will begin to take place, and we don't know how long that chain reaction will keep going, but I'm believing it's going to continue on. But I also know that once Easter is over, I will forget about that service in two to three weeks. But even though I forget about it and move on, the results of that service will continue on for all of eternity. And lives that I don't even know about will be changed. But that can only happen if we follow Jesus and allow him to make us fishers of men. You see, God can use your job, your marriage, your hobbies, your children, your finances, your successes, and your failures to touch other people for Jesus. And the results can and will be eternal. If you follow Jesus and allow him to make you fishers of men. You see, for someone to get saved, they've got to be hooked with the gospel and reeled in to Jesus. Think about this. When you got saved, someone probably shared the gospel with you. They probably shared the fact that Jesus died for your sins. And when all your sins were paid for, God raised him from the dead. And as a result of that, you got saved. But I doubt that that was the first time that you'd ever heard the gospel. In fact, I bet that you'd heard the gospel a hundred times before you ever got saved. 
But when you finally got saved, it was because the person sharing the gospel with you connected with you in some way. Connected with you in a way that no one else had ever connected with them before. Or with you before. That person was able to relate to you on your level. They were able to reel you in for Jesus. Now listen to me. You'd be surprised. The people you can minister to that I can't. Because you connect with them and I don't. You see, God's able to use you to connect with certain people because of the things that you've experienced. Let me give you some examples. I know women that many of you have had an abortion. And you've wrestled with that and you've struggled with that and it's broken you up as you've matured in life. But you've gone to God. And you've received forgiveness for that and you know that God has taken that and he's thrown that sin as far away as the east is from the west. And you've come to grips with that. And as a result, God has done a healing in your life. I want you to understand that there are other women that will have abortions or that have had abortions and they're struggling with that and they don't know how to deal with that. But because of what you've experienced and because of what Jesus Christ has done, you can relate to them in a way that I never could. You can connect with them in a way that I never could. Some of you have been molested as a child and that was such a traumatic experience. And it has affected you. And you had to come to grips with that. And through the healing power of Jesus Christ, God has allowed you to get over that and for it not to affect your life the way it did for so many years. And for so many of you, you think, well, I, I just want to forget about that. You know, God has helped me. But no, God wants to use that experience because there are so many people that's been molested that you can connect with them because you understand what they're feeling. You understand the sense of betrayal. You understand what that person did to you. And you're able to come in and say, I understand. And you're able to connect with them. So when you present the gospel, it hooks them. And you're able to reel them into Jesus. Some of you have been on drugs. You went through that drug lifestyle. Maybe you lost your family in the process. Maybe you lost your health. Maybe you threw a good portion of your life away during that period. But God has done a work in your life. You've been saved. You've been set free. Now you're living for Jesus. I want you to understand there are those that are still in that lifestyle or maybe that have come out of that lifestyle and they're still struggling. But because of your experiences, you can connect with Him. You can go in and you can share the gospel in a way that I can't do. And you can reel them in for Jesus. But that's only going to happen... If you allow Jesus to make you a fisher of men. You see, God is able to use your experiences, your personality, your hobbies, your career, even your past to connect with other people so you can reel them in for Jesus. That's why Jesus wants to make you a fisher of men. That's why Jesus didn't come and say, if you follow me, I'll make you happy. That's why he didn't say, if you follow me, I'll make you disciplined or I'll make you organized or I'll make you rich. God wanted to make you richer in a more full way. He wanted you to have the ability to make an eternal impact in other people's lives. So the things that you do here on this earth matter for all of eternity. That's why he's made this universal promise that if you follow him, he will make you a fisher of men. But if we don't recognize 
that Jesus wants to make us a fisher of men. We go through life concentrating only on the temporal things rather than the eternal things. And we miss out on the real joy of reeling people in for Jesus. Let me give you an experience that Lisa and I had just last Wednesday night. We usually either go to Reesers or Walmart after the service on Wednesday night because very few people are there. I'm already kind of hyped up, and I'm not going to be going to sleep for any time soon, so we'll go to Reesers or Walmart. Last Wednesday night, we went to Walmart. And, of course, Lisa was getting all of the Easter things to put in our girls' baskets. 24 and 21 years old, and they still get an Easter basket. So she has all of these things, and we're checking out. And as the lady begins to check out all of these Easter things, she says, Ooh, someone's getting ready for Easter. And, of course, I'm not a big fisherman, but I know what a nibble is. So I know a nibble when I see one. And I said, yes, we are. Easter is the most important holiday of the year. And she said, oh, really? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I, I, I'm a pastor. I minister at Cornerstone Fellowship. And I said, that is the most important holiday of all the holidays. Because that's the day that Jesus Christ was resurrected. And we're celebrating that. Do you go to church anywhere? No, but I've been looking. Of course, she's probably been here her entire life. But anyways, no, I've been looking. And I said, well, why don't you give us a, a try? So Lisa digs into her purse, pulls out the card, hands it to her. And she says, well, what do you have for children? So I said, turn the card over. She turns it over. We talk about the egg hunt. And then I said, but you need to understand we have a great children's ministry. And I start talking about our church. And we get into this conversation because there's no one else behind us. And we're able to stay there a few minutes and talk about our church. And I said, well, I'd sure like to be able to see you on Easter. And she said, I think I'll come. Now, I want you to understand something. I could have said, you know, my job's over. I preached Wednesday night. I'm tired. I really don't want to deal with people. I've dealt with people all night long. I just want to go through. Just check me out. Oh, no. You see, God told me that if I would follow Jesus, Jesus would make me a fisher of men. I realize that what my job is is to try and hook people with the gospel and reel them in to Jesus. And so I'm looking for nibbles. I'm looking for opportunities. Realizing that my life has meaning and purpose. I just want you to understand something. You might think you're really important now. Maybe you make a lot of money. I'm going to tell you, one day you're going to die and your grandkids are just going to say, well, I remember Grandpa so-and-so, but that's it. And then when your great-grandkids come, they're not even going to know anything about you. It doesn't matter whether you made money or not. The only things that are going to matter are the things that are e have eternal purpose. And what Jesus was doing when he came and said, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men, is he was saying, I'll give your life meaning. I'll make what you do every day on earth have a greater purpose. And so he takes the experiences we've had in the past. He takes our personality. He takes our job. He takes everything about us. And he says, now if you'll let me, I'll turn you into, I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll use your personality. I'll use your experiences. I'll use your past to hook people with Jesus and pull you in. And then one day when all of these temporal things are over because we're dead, it's not over. Because what I've done has gone on into eternity. The people that I've witnessed to, the people that I've led to the Lord, the people that I've touched in some way, the people that I've touched that's touched others. I'm going to see all that in heaven and realize I made 
a difference. So we don't think much about the promise that Jesus made when he told his disciples, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But I want you to understand, that was such a great thing he was promising. Because really what he was telling you is, I'll give your life meaning. I'll give you a greater purpose. I'll give you the ability to make an impact on all eternity.